So I wonder how your week was. Did you have a good good day yesterday? I sure did. That was a beautiful day. And uh, wow, such a change in the weather too. Last night I slept like a log. And then I woke up and found myself near the fireplace. Yeah. It's a great time of the year though, isn't it? This is the time of the year where we get to put out all our trash. So I gave away all my dead batteries with a big sign, free of charge. Wow. Anyways, speaking of things that happen, I don't know how many of you have Twitter or Facebook or any of those things, but the local police have, have uh, indicated that there's a, there's a problem in the community. There's a very, very short psychic who's going around making false predictions and charging fees for these. The news report headline said, be aware, small, medium, at large. Okay, enough of that now. Now that we've got that out of the way. uh, Can we turn to uh, scripture reading, Matthew 28, please, this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 begins in verse 16. The eleven disciples went away to Galilee to a mountain which Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So we're beginning a new series, and uh, wow, it's it's cool to be a, be able to start something that has uh, us all thinking about why we do what we do. Um, so I've asked the question: What do a log house builder, a ship captain, a road construction foreman, and a gardener all have in common? Well, for the captain, it's or the log house build, excuse me, it is the construction of the beautiful building, that every joint will fit together beautifully, that it will look nice, will be on time, and it will be to the satisfaction of those who are at his employment. For the captain, of course, it is a safe delivery and unloading of the cargo at the point of destination. For the road construction foreman, It's producing the smoothest of payment at the minimum of costs and delays uh, to the public and, of course, safety issues. And I'm hoping that somebody out there is listening to this message and applies that to the roads in Timmins, but let's, let's just see what happens there. And then, of course, to the gardener. The gardener is desirous that there might be a beautiful, well designed flower bed or perhaps an overflow of fruits and vegetables from a thriving and flourishing chunk of soil. So each of these projects have a goal, a target, or a point of action. They have a way to measure success. And the target is defined, measurable, and visible. It's not enough to say to the to the uh, ship captain, well, you had good intentions, you were honest and true in what you did, but the ship still sank. It's not good enough to say to the house builder, you did everything you could, you were on time and on schedule, but the roof and walls still collapsed. 
It's not enough to say to those who were building roads, you spent hours ensuring that the road was smooth and straight, but there was still a sinkhole at the end of the project. And it's certainly not enough to say to the gardener, you you were weeding and watering and caring for this garden, but there's no fruit. In other words, it's not enough to do. I know we say at the end of our lives, he's going to reward us on our faithfulness to the cause that he has called us to. But there needs to be results if he's going to reward us. Results not just in our lives and the additional changes in our hearts, but visible results. After all, the road to Damascus for the Apostle Paul is a benchmark for you and I as Christians. It's a pattern, as it were. And of course, that's why we do what we do, because we follow the divine pattern. At least that's our intention, uh, however difficult it sometimes is to follow. And Paul on the road to Damascus was struck down by a great light. Here was a man who was seeking to put an end to this early, what they perceived as cult movement. The early Christians were an offshoot of the Judaic faith, the Judaism. And there were so many of those who were like Paul saying, this is wrong. We are, these people are following a false Messiah. They're following someone who claims to be God. They're following somebody who offers forgiveness of sins. We know that God, Jehovah, only offers forgiveness of sins by the offering of a lamb. And they're claiming that this was the one and final lamb of God. They're wrong. And Paul, on that road to Damascus, you can read about it in Acts chapter 9, as he's urging forward, you can just see he's, he's driving at the bit to persecute these people who were false believers in his view. And he's struck by a divine light. It, it must have knocked him off his horse because he looks up and he's completely blind. But he hears that voice, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, and who are you? Now he expected to hear the word God, Elohim, or Jehovah. Instead he heard the word Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And anyone who claims that they believe in Jesus and does not believe that Jesus is God, well, they've got a problem because he over and over emphasized that he indeed was the divine Son of God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And so we have our pattern in the Apostle Paul and how he became a believer. And so we define success in different ways. The world, of course, defines success as he who has the most to- uh, dies with the most toys wins. And that's pretty much the key to success. There are other keys. Have a good and prosperous life. Enjoy pleasure. Have all the comforts take you right up into old age. And then say, adieu, adieu. (laughs) Oh no, that's the world's view. Make it as comfortable as you can until that final man when you check out. And by all means, make it your own divine appointment. And that's why euthanasia is such an issue today. Because people want to check out on their own terms before any pain comes, that might drive them to the cross. Because oftentimes it's the pain and the suffering that drives a man or woman to that point where they say, I need you, Jesus, 
to give me life. The world is such that they've forgotten that death is still coming. Jesus put it this way, for what is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now I'm really glad that we sang that hymn, I'd rather have Jesus. What maybe some of you may be aware of is written, the words, by George Beverly Shea. And the context of that song is very interesting. He was struggling as a, a, a very up-and-coming baritone and bass singer. He was becoming very popular. And one of the major recording industries had contacted him and said, we want you to sign a contract with us. And at the same time, he was being pulled by those who wanted him to serve the Lord Jesus. Now, the contrasts were pretty clear. Those who wanted him to serve with his voice, the Lord Jesus said, we can't offer you much money. We can't offer you much in terms of fame. We can't offer you much except, well, the, the profits are out of this world and the dividends are, are exceedingly beyond your imagination, but it, you may not see much in this world. And then George Beverly had this huge contract sitting in front of him, and he was struggling. And if you and I get to a point where we have that choice in the road, the fork of the road, you know what I'm talking about. And he said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. And you know, he used that term, to be the king of a vast domain. George Beverly Shea was and always will be a Canadian. And he was thinking of Canada when he said that. That he would not, he would, that would not exchange it to be the king of Canada, which prime minister, right? He wanted Jesus. That was what he wanted. Well, there are many churches today who preach a false Jesus, unfortunately. What I mean by this is this. Jesus lived 33 years. He only had three years of ministry. Uh, that's one-eleventh. Less than 10% of his time was spent in public ministry. Keep that in focus, folks. A lot of your ministry and my ministry for Jesus will be hidden and will be out of sight and nobody's ever going to give you a pat on the back. Nobody's ever going to come up to you and say, well done, you did so good. Because Jesus, who was God the Son, was bringing a message and he only had three years to do it. And he did limited signs and wonders. Now, some of them Teachers today would say, oh no, his whole existence was three years of repeated signs and wonders. Well, the record of the scripture is clear. There's only a few times when he stopped the seas and said, peace be still. There's only occasional times when he gathered the fish into the, the miraculous catch uh, following the resurrection and the miraculous catch before the disciples were called. There's only a few of those occasions. He walks on water. That's a miracle. But this wasn't happening every day. Don't, don't think in your right mind that Jesus, when he wanted to take a shortcut, he just walked across the lake. He doesn't do that. Once he does that. But the other times, he's sitting in the boat, or he's rowing with the rest, or whatever they're doing. And that reminds us that he inhabited human flesh. He knew what it was to suffer, to suffer hunger, to suffer pain. 
He did limited signs and wonders. He healed. Um, I was doing a study on this, and there's about 45 healings that are recorded in the... There's a number of them that are repeats from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but uh, about 45 different healings and group healings and so on. But think about it. Less than 10% of his life, and of that 10%, 9% or so that he did miracles, only 45 major healings, incidents. How oh, he did more than what was recorded, obviously. But the point is simply this that he even only fed the poor twice. Now, there are some churches today that make it their mandate that their mission is to feed the poor. Now, I'm not against feeding the poor, and neither is the Lord. But think about it. This is the God who could, in flesh, create something out of nothing any time he wanted, and he only does it twice. Because he knew the selfishness of our hearts. He knew that if we could find a king that would give us free bread, what would we do? We'd get out our hammock and say, when is the next load of bread coming? Yes, that's what we would do. And he knew that would be wrong because we needed a savior that was way more important than physical bread. And that's the message, the central truth of the Bible. And what is the central truth? How do we discover the central truth? Well, this has been an interesting season. I was listening to the news about Moncton, New Brunswick, and they have um, a lot of maple syruping going on in that little city. And uh, this is the time of year when, I guess we could still do maple syruping if we had the proper maple trees, but um, the temperature has to be minus 7 at night and plus 7 in the daytime for the sap to run. And it takes 40 gallons, or 40 liters if you're metric, 40 gallons to make one gallon, 40 liters, boiled down, concentrated to make one liter of maple syrup. That's the picture on the left. The picture on the right is a personal picture. We were driving by Nova Scotia. There was these beautiful lavender fields. We smelled them before we saw them. And we pulled off to the fields, and we just loved the smell of lavender. And um, pulled into this, and it was an actual lavender farm. And here was the guy who had his little still there where he would distill the, the flowers, the petals of the lavender. It takes 150 pounds of leaves of the lavender plant to produce one pound of the essential oil of lavender. And why we're trying to say this is that in the Bible, you need to read the Scriptures if you want to know what it says about our mission. You need to boil it down, as it were, get to the essence, and how do we do that? Well, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series and uh, looking at the Great Commission today a little bit and then Old Testament evangelism because if there's New Testament, there must have been Old. And sure enough, there's plenty of examples of that. And then Jesus' example of evangelism and Peter's. And what do we mean by evangelism? It's simply how do you share your faith in Jesus to someone else? So how do we discover what the goal of Jesus was? Did he come to make a better world? Did he come to heal everyone? Did he come to make you rich? Did he come to make you a happy, healthy, wholesome person? Well, we, we get the answer in four subtle ways. First of all, look at what God said about his goal. Matthew one twenty one, as the stepfather of Jesus was struggling with this virgin birth, 
says that the angel said to him, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. The mission statement that the angel said was fright from God, first of all, give him a Gentile name. That must have been a shocker. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine thinking to myself, okay, here I am, I've got a child, and we've got to decide a name, and I'm going to name it from another culture's language. It would have been Joshua if it was the Hebrew name. Instead, he calls him Jesus, the Greek name. Joshua means God saves, by the way. And uh, that was the message that he was coming to bring. But it was about sin. It wasn't about riches or wealth or health or prosperity. It was about the very nature of who we are and why we need a Savior. Zechariah's prophecy. He says, He has come for the remission of sins. Oh, there's that word sin again. And Simeon's prophecy says, And He has come as a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. Wow. That's cool because that reminds us that he came for you and me, not just for the Jewish nation. And then John the Baptist in John 1.29, he sees the Lord Jesus starting to pick up his disciples. And he says, look there, behold, there's the Lamb that's going to take away the sin of the world. It's all about sin. Why did he come? He came about sin. Sin, what is it? It's missing the mark. It's unrighteousness. It's lack of faith. It's lack of trust. It's pride. It's a high look, a hot, haughty eye. Sin is described as that which is less than God. And he came to take away the sin of the world. So how do we discover the goal of Jesus? Well, you look at what he said about himself. He did call himself the bread of life, but he was talking about the bread that brings real life. He says, you will take this bread and you'll get hungry again. But who feeds on me will never hunger again. I am the door. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Abide in me. But it's not just how he, what he said about himself. He also what he said he came to do. He came to do certain things. For example, he came to seek fruit. Luke 13, verse 7. He came seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Now, if you were to die today, would he find no fruit? Would you be like an empty branch? He came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. He came that we might know his forgiveness. And so, he says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. That's the wonder of it. Uh, it's nice to have buildings. I'm sure that Bruce and Sharon have been in all kinds of different buildings and sometimes no buildings. And others of us who worship God in the outdoors or various locations, it doesn't take a building to worship God. Although in the cold it sure is nice. But it doesn't take a building. It takes the Lord Jesus 
where two or three are gathered together. There am I in the midst. So how else do you discover about the goal of Jesus? Well, you look at what he said at the beginning to his disciples. And what did he say? His very first statement was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. It's here. It's right around us. Mark, Matthew 4.17 And he also said, over and over again, 28 times, Follow me. Follow me. Now, he didn't say follow tradition. He didn't say follow theology. He didn't say follow a system. He said, follow me. And we, a week from the, from the date that we traditionally celebrate the resurrection, can say he's just as real now as he was last week, as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. Because he is the living Christ. And you and I who know him know what, what a joy it is to follow him. Sometimes hard, no question. But he gives us grace. And then he says, and believe in me. Believe in me. John 1.12 puts it this way. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So how do we discover what the goal of Jesus was? Well, we look at what Jesus said at the end of his mission. So we've already looked at what he said, God said of him at the beginning, what he said. Now we look at what he said at the end of his last statements. We're going to look at the four brief statements that summarize the gospel accounts of what he said at the end. Matthew 28, we've read it already. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the word Gentiles. That means go out to anyone and everyone. This is not just a Jewish religion. This was for all of us. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that so many here, while some have Jewish roots and are thankful for their heritage, most of us don't. But we're by faith found in Jesus. So we're in the tribe of Judah. Jesus was in the tribe of Judah. So all of those who have been incorporated into Jesus are in that priestly, kingly tribe, the tribe of Judah. How do we make disciples? Oh, by the way, did you notice it says make disciples? It doesn't say make believers. It doesn't say make born-agains. It doesn't say make Christians. It says make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, first of all, a disciple was somebody that stayed by the teacher. The rabbi... When he had his disciples, if he left and he walked out of the room, the disciples went with him. didn't matter if they were in the middle of a service. didn't matter if they were in the middle of a message. didn't matter what the context. They stood by him. They, they were with him at all times. We need to have more disciples. Now, it says in Acts that the disciples were first called Christians. The word disciple is actually the precursor to the word Christian. And the word Christian means Christ's anointed ones. The anointed ones. We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit if we actually know the Lord Jesus. Mark's account, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Pretty similar. And then he goes on, and these signs shall follow. And if you read it, it's pretty miraculous. We can never discount in the Great Commission, that it has to work supernaturally. 
that he has to enter into that supernatural. You know, it's, it's not enough for me to share this. It has to be the Holy Spirit piercing through a heart this morning and convincing you and I that this is a true and righteous message and that you need to get right with God. It won't happen because we do it. We want it to happen. It will happen because God is at work. Luke's account... Two different accounts, Luke 24, he says, you are witnesses of these things and I send the promise. It will not happen without the interaction of the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission, if we are to follow it, we can't do it mechanically, we cannot preach the gospel to someone and say, there, I got it off my shoulders. I, you know, there was one guy I used to read about, the, uh, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, one of the founders of a great evangelical movement and he had this conviction, he had to witness to somebody every day and he had this you know, law that he'd set up in his heart. I'm going to witness to somebody every day. And boy, oh boy, if he didn't get out there and talk to somebody about Jesus, he was feeling as guilty as sin. Now, the Lord wants us to be witnesses. He said, you will be witnesses. And he was witnessing, but maybe not always the greatest way. Because if you witness out of guilt, I mean, it's like trying to sell a car. If you try to sell a car because you're guilty that you haven't sold all this week, you're not going to be able to portray the, the, the extol the value of having that car. Now that's a poor illustration because following Jesus is way more than an automobile. I mean, he is supernaturally wonderful and a miracle. So he must work under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit come upon you. And the fourth thing is that as witnesses, we must witness out of the motivation of love. Do you love me? Do you really love me? That's what he's asked Peter. Why does John not even have this great commission? Because he wants to get back to the essence of what we are called to do. We're called to be lovers in the real spiritual way. We're to be called to be people who love God, love God fervently, and will do anything to see others one for Jesus Christ. And so he he says to Peter, do you really love me? Now, he uses the word agape. That's the commitment love. That's the sacrificial love. Peter never gets to that stage. He just says, oh yeah, I'm fond of you. <laughs> I have the filial love. He knew after having failed so many times, that's a good start. We always have to know that we'll never love even as the Lord Jesus loved. What kind of love do we need? The kind of love the Lord Jesus had for us. Yes, kind of love that will be willing to go and suffer on his behalf so that others may come to faith in Christ. Well, as we finish up, let's just think about the fact that this is all consistent in the Old and New Testament. God extending his arm to those who were lost. Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Daniel, Jonah, Esther, Nehemiah, Naaman, the leper, Elijah, Elisha, they all reached out to others. Uh, this little slide shows us a bit about the Missionary Service Committee. As I was doing research on this to see how we are doing in a, as a movement, I came up with some interesting statistics. Um, as the movement goes, we have about 100 people um, across uh, British Columbia to Quebec who are serving full-time in local assemblies. We have another 100 couples and 25 single missionaries who are serving in Africa, nine countries, Central and South America, 18 countries, Europe, 11 countries, and Asia, five countries. 
So there is a work going on in a, an extended sense of the word. But the real question is, how about you? It says examine yourself. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. So let's do it. Let's have a little quickie quiz. First quiz question. Who is Jesus? He is a great prophet, teacher, model for my life. He's a noble character whom I emulate. He's both a living man and God the Son and my friend. He's a soon coming judge who will accept me for what I did. Number two. Repentance. What is it? It's all about feeling sorry. It's about the surrender of the will, a willingness to turn 180 degrees. Repentance is a work which cannot be a part of salvation. Repentance is not to be confused with faith and it's not necessary. Wow, you've got both extremes on this one. hope it didn't confuse you too much. What about this? What must I do to be saved? Surrender and repentance. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be given life. Oh, how about this? Believe that Jesus died for my sin. That's all. No rocket science here. How about C? Sign a card. Turn one's life over to Jesus. And now work for the Savior. How about quickie test number four? What do I say to God to get into heaven? I did the best I could. I studied the Ten Commandments. And I loved. I lived a good life. At least as good as any. I have no good to offer. I trust in Jesus' death. And I live as, and my life as a payment for heaven. And how does God's Spirit fit into your life? It's important. If you do not have the Spirit of God in your life, you're not a Christian. Did you know that? Yeah, it's important. If you do not know the Holy Spirit, you do not know life. That's what the Scripture says. And the Spirit is an awesome power. That's what the world says. The Spirit gives me ability to do things. The Spirit is He who teaches me of Jesus. My Spirit will lift me up to worship God. Well, I hope I haven't just confused you with these questions. Because the final question is this, do you have peace with God? Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's it's not just a theoretical peace. It's real. He is real. And he grants us that peace. And so, by way of conclusion, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You know, this little quickie quiz, if you found it confusing and you want to talk to me further about it, I'd be more than happy to give you what I would perceive as the biblical answers for those questions. But the bottom line is this. Do you know Jesus? Because we cannot evangelize or share our faith if we don't have something to share. And more importantly, someone to share. Because it's not about a doctrine, it's about a person. And it's none other than Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask our our song team to come up and uh, finish off with our hymn and the prayer. Number 543 in the green books, please. Thank you, Dave, for the wonderful, powerful message. Verse 3 says, Let us labor for the Master from the dawn till the setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then all of 
all of life is over and our work on earth is done, when the roll is called up yonder, we'll be there. Are you ready for the trumpet of the Lord? Are you ready to go home any moment? Are you ready for the Lord Jesus? Did you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you ready to go because the trumpet is near? We just don't know when. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Oh, when the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. And the morning lights eternal bright. When the glory and the glory of his resurrection share. When the chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the sky. And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Yes, when the roll is called up yonder. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time together. As we separate from this place, Lord, may there be no one that leaves this place uncertain or unsure of whether indeed Jesus, Lord, is the Savior of their life. We pray, Lord, that you will bless each one who names the name of Christ and bless those who do not. We think of this movie, The Cause for, uh, Case for Christ. We pray that many will indeed hear the message of the gospel this week and uh, Respond to the message of love and the message of grace and the message of forgiveness. And we thank you again for this time together. Bless us as we separate in Jesus' name. Amen.